Let's pray before we get into God's Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word this morning. And thank you, Father, thank you, Jesus, for coming all the way down. Coming down all the way to this earth and planting the ladder of your humanity firmly upon the earth. And yet still being divine. And indeed, Jesus, you are that divine ladder today. So speak to our hearts of the great sacrifice, of the great condescension, of the renunciation of self, the emptying of self that took place in you, dear God, and inspire us to allow that same mind to be in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the kenosis is found uh, most clearly in the book of Philippians. So if you'll turn there now, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, and we'll look at verse 1 through 7 this morning. All right, Philippians chapter 2. I've got the King James, <clears throat> excuse me, King James rendering this morning, in case you wonder. And we'll look at verse 1 and, and onward. And verse 1 is crucial to the rest of the passage. So we want to make sure that we understand it correctly. In the King James, in most versions, not all, but most versions, it says, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. Now that <clears throat> if is a, what is called a first-class conditional clause. There are different ifs. Uh, the word if can be used in different ways. But in this particular case, it can mean or should mean since or because. It's not if as if, oh yeah, if it happens. No, it's, it's if as it since it has happened. So it's Important to understand that because, again, this verse is crucial to the rest of the passage. Verse 1, it says, If, and again, it could be since there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy. And this uh, consolation is an interesting word in the Greek. It is paraklesis, which is fairly close to the word for Holy Spirit, parakletos. And it means the urging done by someone close by your side. Okay? Like when your wife or your husband urges you to do something, this is what's happening here. This, this consolation is an urging by one close by, a personal exhortation that delivers the evidence that stands up in God's court. So this is an urging. This is an encouragement coming by one close by, indeed by the Holy Spirit, I believe. And as I said, most of the versions do not understand the if, uh, I don't think, uh, that correctly. But one of several got it right, um, in my understanding, and the good news uh, was one of those, and this is what it says. 
uh, in the good news, it would have, since your life in Christ makes you strong. That's that consolation. That's that encouragement. And his love comforts you. You have fellowship with the Spirit. You have kindness and compassion for one another. Then Paul says, fulfill ye my joy. So we go from this uh, relationship with Christ, right, that we're having to this relationship out to others. So if the relationship is waning with others, it's very possible that the relationship, the vertical relationship is the foundational issue. Amen? And so that's where we must have our our foundation, our grounding is in that relationship with Christ, that vertical relationship where he speaks to us. He walks with us and he talks with us. And so bad behavior is something that is, is horizontal, right? It's, it's something that goes out. But it comes from something that, that goes up or that comes from above, right? And so it's crucial to understand that because we may see bad behavior among our children or our spouses or <clears throat> whatever it may be. And um, in correcting that bad behavior, we don't understand that it starts with a spiritual issue, a spiritual problem. And so Paul says then, fulfill ye my joy. When you have that vertical sense, there is consolation. Since there is encouragement, since there is one standing by your side encouraging you, since there is comfort, since there is fellowship of the Spirit <clears throat> and bowels and mercies. Now that more has to do with the affections, right? The affections going out to Christ. That was the Hebrew thought that our, our uh, emotions were centered in, in, in the bowels, right? <clears throat> or in the in the inward parts. And I told you that story some time ago, but I'll share it again. Some of you may not have been here and may not have heard it. I was pastoring in Grand Rapids with David Glenn. Joel, you'll recognize that name, a few will. <clears throat> He's in Washington State now, but I was his associate. And there was a family there that was, the child was giving a kidney to the parent. And so it was a very, very touching thing. and. Um, they asked me if I could be there to pray with them. And it was going to be at like five o'clock in the morning. And I said, sure, absolutely. You just tell me and I'll be there. <clears throat> well, Amherst was about six or seven at the time. And when she heard what was going on, she says, daddy, I'd like to go with you. And I'm thinking, scratching my head. I'm not sure they're even going to let her in, much less anything else. But uh, she was homeschooled at the time and rarely got up that early. So I, I, I had an idea. I said, okay, if you can get up at <laughs> five o'clock, then you're going with me, thinking that that would take care of it. So quarter to five or so, <clears throat> I go into her room, bing, she's wide awake, ready to go. So yeah, you're going with me and we'll get you in somehow. <clears throat> but then on the way there, she said, daddy, I want to share a scripture with the people. I thought, oh no, my six-year-old is going to share. What if she says Lazarus died or something? I mean, I don't know. She could say anything. So I, you know, I figured, well, the Lord is leading so far. Let's keep this going. And so um, I said, yeah, sure, share a scripture. <laughs> so we get there. <clears throat> she just flips her Bible open. It's Psalms is kind of in the middle, Psalms 139. 
where it says, God knoweth our inward parts, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The word inward parts in the Hebrew means kidney. God knoweth our kidneys. And this lady is getting ready to give a kidney to her dad. Is the word of God perfect for every situation, folks? Absolutely. And only God, the family, was like, oh, you put her up to this. I'm like, I did not put her up to this. This is a God thing. But anyway, bowels and mercies, back to verse 1 of Philippians 2. Since you have this flowing from Christ into your life, fulfill ye my joy, Paul says, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And so it's a call to unity. Unity flows from that relationship with Christ. Since we have been risen with him, set your affections on those things which are above, not the things that are on the earth, Colossians taught us. So the vertical relationship should manifest itself in our relationship with others, right? That's the whole thing here about let this mind be in you. It's not just, okay, I have the mind. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ, right? It means to treat other people like he treated other people, amen? Because Christ is dwelling within the hope of glory. So it's very practical. You might say, well, this is kind of, you know, theological. Well, it kind of is, but it's also really practical. And the Bible is that way everywhere. It, it combines the two together so well. Verse 3 says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain glory. The uplifting of self, if that uh, is our motive, then that always fails, right? And fails to represent our beautiful Jesus. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, or rather in humility, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, that's a pretty high calling, isn't it? <laughs> in every case, to esteem others better than yourself. But that's what agape love does. And that's what should flow from this, again, this, this vertical relation, this, this Holy Spirit prompting us to see others in that light. And then verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So that's the call, right? It's a call to unity. It's a call to humility. It's a call that is linked to our relationship with Christ. Let this mind, the very mind of Christ, be in us. And that's the daily battle, right? That's the daily, dying daily, as Paul said, is to let this mind be in us. Because our natural mind won't do any of those things, right? It won't. <laughs> You've tried it. I've tried it. It doesn't work. But the mind of Christ will do it, and will do it every time. So let this mind. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, right? 
Again, back to Colossians, we're told, as you have been forgiven by Christ, so forgive others, right? Again, that's a pretty high calling. In fact, I think it's impossible outside of Christ, but certainly more than doable with the power of Christ abundantly dwelling in us. And so let this mind be in you, verse 6, who being in the form of God, and here's where the word kenosis, or the root word is uh, kino, comes in in the Greek here, who being in the form of God, now that word form is morphe, don't think of shape, uh, think of exactness. Um, I'll give you a couple. Morphe stresses essence of one's nature and specifically denotes essential, unchanging character of something. So when he says in the form of God, he's saying God, that he was God. What it is in and of itself. Morphe does not speak of external appearance or outward shape, but of the essential attributes of the inner nature. When Paul says that Jesus Christ was in the form of God, the Son is one in nature, one in attributes, one in character with the Father. So that's what's being shared here. Here he is, God. And thought it not robbery, that is the King James rendering, to be equal with God, or emptied himself. That's where that word kenosis comes in. Christ would empty himself. Now, there's really no illustration. I know everyone loves stories and wants more stories, but tongue, tongue cannot tell, pen cannot write. I mean, you can say, well, you know, it's as if Christ became a, came down and became an ant. That doesn't get it either. <laughs> there's just no way to describe God coming down in the flesh to save our souls other than say it. John said, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Oh, indeed, that Christ would come down, being in the form of God, would empty himself, would not hold on to his divine nature as something to be grasped or held on to. Now, let's just go here for a minute. If you were God, do you think that would be something you would want to hold on to? Yeah, right? Not Jesus, right? He's willing to empty himself or to set aside. Now, he doesn't become not God. He's still God, but he's willing to set that aside because for salvation to happen, and this is out here for a reason. This is my wife's, by the way. All my ladders, no, they're not going in this church because they got paint on them and all kinds of stuff. But my wife has a pristine, look at this. Have you ever seen such a clean ladder, Wayne Johnson? Never. I don't think so. Anyway, Christ had to come all the way down, right? He had to empty himself. That ladder had to touch the ground. Also, he had to be God at the same time, right? It had to be all, go all the way up. Think about this for a minute. If this ladder was, well, you know what? I'm not going to do it, but think that it was hanging, you know, like the, the bottom rung was like up about here. Would that be a very effective ladder, do you think? No, it's like it doesn't come all the way down to where I'm at. But that's not what Christ did, amen? He came all the way down to where we're at and took flesh, sinful flesh, 
upon him. And also was the God-man at the same time. So this is the plan of salvation. Christ becomes man. Christ is God at the same time. He bridges the gap. You can think of it another way. You're on a deserted island. And the waters are, are rushing by, you know, the, the, the sea out here. Um, all right, they say never tell a story inside of another story. We're taught that in, in uh, our uh, <clears throat> classes on preaching. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digress anyway. When I lived in California in Milpitas area, I, was, I swam a little bit. I don't consider myself a good swimmer, but apparently this other guy did because he's like, hey, come with me. Let's, uh, we swim to Alcatraz you know, out to the island and back all the time. And so I thought about it and uh, said, well, yeah, tell me a little bit about it. He says, yeah, you know, you put your wetsuit on and uh, the current, you know, you have to start over here. The island's here. You have to start over here and then it'll kind of curve you around. And he said, the cold waters, I said, what's the most dangerous part? He said, well, the cold waters are not that bad. Um, That's one problem. You know, sharks, that's a problem. but even more so are the boats that might very well run you over. You know, we have to, and I'm like, no, I'll take a rain check on that. But um, anyway, think about this. You're on an island. It's deserted. These rushing, you can, see, you can see the mainland, right? And that's where everything that you love and everyone that you love is. And you'd love to be there, but you know you just can't get there, right? The waters are too strong. And yet, someone comes and builds a bridge. Amen? Now you can get there. Christ is that divine human bridge. Amen? He bridged the gulf of sin. There's no way we could get there unless Christ became sin for us. Amen? He became that divine human bridge. He emptied himself. Oh, what a savior we serve. Made himself of no reputation, verse 7 says, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So this is one step down after another after another. From God down to man, not to angels, right? But down to man, emptying himself, humbling himself took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Verse uh, 8 now. Being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So not only does he come down to man, but he comes down to be the obedient man. And not just the obedient man, but obedient unto death. And of course, that's what we celebrate in these emblems the death but it wasn't just death right it was the death of the what cross and the death of the cross we have a cross here we have a a service that we're doing next week especially focusing on the cross friday night sabbath and sunday but the cross was the worst possible torture that could be done And not only that, but Galatians 3.13, and then referring back to the Old Testament, one who died on a cross was considered 
to be suffering under what? The curse, right? I heard it, the curse of God. So not only does he come down from God who made everything and in him all things consist to become a creature, but comes down to sinful flesh and not just sinful flesh, but to death. And not just death, but the death of the cross. Oh, what a Savior we serve. And that verse Seven, that emptying of himself, making himself of no reputation. Some versions would put annihilated himself. Even stronger word. That word kenosis, kino, properly to empty out, render void, hence without recognition, perceived as valueless. Wow. Christ would empty himself for you and I. Christ thought of others, not himself. Think about now the temptation to Eve, right? What was, what was the temptation? If you do this, you shall be as gods. So the temptation was to go up, right? And to be as God. And Christ showed the exact opposite, right? He flipped it over. As God, he was willing to empty himself, and become one of us and go through our temptations. Now, again, this, this whole, this passage may have been a, a, what they call a canonic hymn. They would, they would maybe sing this um, in the time of the Philippians. And um, it's, it's a tremendous thought to continue in our minds and to teach to the children and youth over and over again. It never really loses its freshness that Christ would come down, that he would die on a cruel cross, that we might have eternal life. And indeed, that is what he did. He uh, entered into this form of kenosis. And just to, to use the latter again, just to illustrate, it's not that he never, that he gave up completely his godness, right? So he was still God, but he also became man at the same time, man and God combined. Well, I'll give you one story to illustrate this coming down, and it doesn't do justice, but it's the best I can give you at this point, and we're going to go to foot washing here shortly. A former missionary told the story, two rugged, powerful mountain goats who met on a narrow pathway joining two mountain ridges. On one side was a chasm a thousand feet deep. On the other side, a steep cliff rising straight up. So narrow was the trail that there was no room to turn around and the goats could not back up without falling. What would they do? Finally, instead of fighting for the right to pass, one of the goats knelt down and made himself as flat as possible. The other goat then walked over him, and they both proceeded safely. And in a sense, that is what Jesus did for us when he left heaven's glory and came to this earth to die for our sins. He saw us trapped between our sin and God's righteousness with no way to help ourselves. He humbled himself, 
by giving up his right to use his divine power. Closing now, or close to it, Jesus, the world's redeemer, left his home in heaven and came down to this dark world to reach the very depths of human woe that he might save those who were ready to perish. Now, he didn't have this, you know, escort with, uh, well, I mean, they don't have limousines that go from heaven to, to earth, but this, this angelic throng, right, uh, coming down. He could have come attended by 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angels, but he laid aside his glory in the heavenly courts. Of course, was born in a manger, maybe in a cave, clothed his divinity with humanity, and for our sakes became poor, that we, through his poverty, might become rich. He came to this earth that was all seared and marred with sin, and being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He submitted to humiliation, to insult, to mockery, that he might leave us a perfect example. You see, the Son of God could make nothing of us, nothing of the human family, unless he submitted to humiliation and through suffering came in contact with suffering humanity. He came all the way down as that ladder, as Jacob's ladder. It was through unutterable woe that Jesus came to this dark world to reach lost man where he is, plunged in the pit of sin and ruin. When we are inclined to magnify our trials, and we are inclined to do that, aren't we? We're always, you know, being persecuted. (laughs) Everything's terrible in our lives. That's just kind of our... Uh, M.O., isn't it, in, in ourselves, when we are inclined to magnify our trials, to think we are having a hard time, we should look away from self to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. It is Jesus who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He became poor that we might have imperishable riches, All this he endured that he might bring many sons and daughters to God to give them abundant hope on this earth and to present them before the universe as trophies of his victory. We are not merely to see a way by which to cross the gulf of sin. We're not just to look at the bridge and say, cool bridge. We're to walk across it, amen? Amen. We are to appreciate the value of the ransom paid for our souls. We are to realize something of what has been suffered that we might be forgiven. Do you know how much your sins cost God? And rescued from destruction. We are to rejoice that the atonement is complete. And believing in Christ as our complete Savior, that we may know that the Father loves us even as he loves his son. One more quick story, and then we go to foot washing, I promise. Again, speaking in the terms of Jacob's ladder, 
Adam and Eve, afterwards the connection, right, is severed between heaven and earth. Had it not been for Christ, the way would have never been known by the fallen race, but Christ assumes humanity. And so that's this, this ladder. Uh, Christ is represented to Jacob, right? And then Nathaniel in the New Testament is this ladder. Christ was one with the Father. And the, in assuming humanity, Christ planted the ladder firmly upon the earth, identifying himself with man. Through the divine nature, Christ was one with the Father. Now this is important. The sinner cannot take one step unless the Spirit draws him. He must cling to Christ if he would be saved. If he ascends to heaven, it must be by mounting up step by step the whole height of Christ's work. So think of each one of these steps, and of course, Nathaniel saw angels descending and ascending upon it, right? But think of each of these steps as steps of Christ's work. But then we are to ascend is by mounting up step by step the whole height of Christ's work so that Christ shall be his wisdom, his righteousness, his sanctification, and his redemption. The gaining of eternal life is no easy thing. By living faith, we are to keep reaching forward, ascending the ladder round by round, seeing and taking the necessary steps. And yet we must understand that not one holy thought, one unselfish act can be originated in self. Right? It's all coming from Christ. It's his work. It is only through Christ that there can be any virtue in humanity. So any good thing we do, Christ did that within us. Amen? It's all about him. Without Christ, we can do no good thing. Now, this next thing I'm going to illustrate quickly, and as I said, then we go. It is at this point that many stumble to their ruin. They think they must struggle in their own effort to grow into goodness. Very interesting. Before they can receive a new heart. So where is it that many stumble to their ruin? They think that they must struggle in their own strength to grow into goodness, sort of salvation by works. Well, unfortunately, uh, many stumble to their ruin. My trip to California had a bit of a sad note, a very sad note, actually. Um, my son-in-law, we, my daughter and I went to visit somebody that we knew. Actually, was, for those of you who knew, Greg Bardale, we <laughs> went and visited Greg and his <clears throat> daughter and grandkids. And Mark was going um, rock climbing. It's a big, big hobby of his. And there were sort of two cliffs. One was kind of like this, and one was kind of like, like this. They're kind of angled. Uh, actually, it's more like this. Anyway, he could see the other cliff. He and his climbing partner had come down from the mountain, but, uh, or from the cliff. But this other lady who was solo climbing, unfortunately 45 years old, she was 80 feet up, uh, made it up fine, but was repelling down. And unfortunately, for some reason, and all the reasons are not exactly um, sure at this point, um, her rope didn't catch at any point, so she fell to her death from 80 feet. And so when I read this, I thought, wow, it's at this point that many stumble to their ruin. As you can imagine, my son-in-law is pretty, that's something you never forget, I don't think. 
But this is eternal ruin we're talking about now. Many stumble to their ruin. They think that they must struggle in their own strength to grow in goodness before they can receive a new heart. But such effort is all in vain. All warfare is useless unless Christ's power is combined with human effort. Amen? We must rely on Christ's power. Human effort is a part of it too. They must work together. But while we can do nothing without him, we have something to do in connection with him. And at no time must we relax our spiritual vigilance. For we are hanging, as it were, between heaven and earth. We must cling to Christ, climb up by Christ, become laborers together with him in the saving of our souls. Oh, what a Savior we serve today, amen? That would come all the way down, that would suffer and um, go through the death of the cross for us, for our salvation. And that's what we, of course, uh, look at with the spilt blood and the body uh, that was, as King James says, broken for us or given for us. What a Savior we have. And in the light of all he's done for us, how can we not give ourselves holy and fully back to him in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great sacrifice made on our behalf, the coming down, dear Jesus. And Father, we know that you were right there with him because the Bible tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so, oh, the suffering, oh, the pain, oh, the sorrow that was felt by you as you suffered the second death. You tasted death for every man, Hebrews 2.9 says. And oh, that we might accept anew as we partake of these emblems, you and that great sacrifice made, and that we might yoke up with you and labor together with you for the helping of a world around us, which is in such daily and desperate and dire need. So we thank you, Lord. Be with us now as we go to the foot washing and come back to... Partake of these emblems in newness of life in Jesus' name. Amen.